0: Good morning, good morning listeners out there. And uh, my name is Pierre Morrow and I'm flying solo today. So um, we've got another exciting uh, half an hour of news uh, from the labour movement in the Asia-Pacific region. But we first, before I tell you what, go, what is going to be on the program, thanks to Annie for another very... Interesting uh, program uh, this morning, Solidarity Breakfast, and those stories about the sell of public housing is a, is a real crime against the working class. And uh, what we need is more public housing. We need government to build public housing. That is actually the solution all over the world, not just in Australia. But the, um, the song that um, she put on at the end was from Empire of the Sun, the group Empire of the Sun, singing We Are the People. And it was quite a nice uh, song, really always enjoyable to see what Annie puts on uh, in the morning. But getting back to what's on today's program, at around ten past nine, we'll be talking to a guest that we haven't had for a while, Nick McClellan, who is an independent journalist and a human rights activist. Uh, focusing on the pacific region and he'll be talking about the um, the the labor contracts the the labor plans of um, bringing seasonal workers from the pacific region and also of the recent pacific forum meeting that was held in samoa um, i think it was last week or early this this month so he'll bring you updates with what is happening for workers in the pacific and some of the bigger issues and things um, we often don't hear what our close um, uh, island neighbours uh, happens there, but there are a lot of problems for um, workers there as well. But um, uh, that will be at ten past nine, and of course that will be also a bit of a labour update. Um, but before we get to, of course, our new new uh, very little item, with uh, Giselle always make sure that
1: I uh, play. Time now for Piers Weather Report, according to personal feelings and observations, and definitely not based on any science. Spoken by C. Benito and definitely not endorsed by the Bureau of Meteorology.
0: I don't know about no science and um, evidence. Anyway, it was a um, nice uh, bit of rain uh, uh, yesterday afternoon overnight, but um, a bit cold now, but it's clearing and there's a lot of sun out there, so not a bad uh, day, and I think tomorrow will be even better. So anyway, that's our weather update for today. But um, look, we'll go straight to the Labor um, updates, and unfortunately we 've got the usual mix of good stories and um, and pretty horrific ones, and Unfortunately, we do start with a pretty pretty horrific one in from um, Pakistan, where last week, four workers were killed deep inside the Sanjidi coal mine near the city of Catar uh, in Balochistan province due to a build up of poisonous gases. Um, uh, thought to be methane. Labour activists have long complained of the poor working conditions that they have to endure in these mines, the lack of proper protective gear and, uh, n- uh, and um, no compensation payments for any injuries suffered. This week, in a similar workplace accident, three more coal miners were killed at a mine in Hanai district, also in Balochistan. And uh, as we've um, uh, said before and we've brought you before, in many countries around the world, the coal industry has an appalling safety record with mine owners routinely disregarding workers' lives. And our best uh, sentiments go out to the families of those workers killed in Pakistan. We now um, look at um, um, still at uh, Pakistan, we've got two stories on on Pakistan. That this week marked the fifth anniversary of the horrific fire at the Ali Enterprise factory in Balja where two hundred and sixty garment workers were killed. After a long, after a long local and international campaign. Some reparations were paid to the families of those killed and injured, so that was good. Um, unfortunately, the situation for garment workers in Pakistan has not really improved in all these years, with companies routinely violating labour laws. Um, and putting profits above workers' health. The Pakistani government sector is characterised by insecure work contracts, long work days, non-existent occupational health and safety standards, and, of course, repression of independent union organising.
1: Hi, it's Paul Kelly here. Hi, this is Shane Howard here, asking you to support 3CR. Independent radio station, encouraging independent music and independent thought. They've been supporting musicians for more than 30 years, so let's support them.
0: And um, I'm just looking at the stories I've I've got here. I will go to this one sticking that the last one was um, about the garment industry in uh, Pakistan. uh, A new study by the Centre for Environment and Sustainability uh, at the University of Surrey in the UK has shown once again how the clothing supply chain around the world brings mega profits to the companies but poverty wages for workers in the global race to the bottom. The researchers examined the supply chains of major European clothing companies and found that on average Garment workers barely receive what is calculated as a living wage. Interestingly, the researchers also found that it was the agricultural workers who sit at the bottom of these global supply chains who got paid the worst wages. And again, um, what they found is the presence of strong independent unions led to higher wages for workers. And I think there was a, a mistake there that the average government workers barely receive a half of a living wage. So that is a real issue all, all around the world and something that obviously we've brought you um, um, many times in terms of, um, of issues we now go to West Asia, where this week Issa Amro, a Palestinian human rights activist, was released on bail by the Palestinian authorities. But he still faces charges under the draconian electronics crime law in Palestine. Now Issa's crime, was to, alleged crime really, was to criticise the arrest of another human rights activist by the Palestinian Authority on a Facebook post. Issa is also facing a number of additional charges from um, the Israeli military not connected to this case. Now his detention is another reminder that on many fronts the Palestinian Authority is complicit in the Israeli occupation of Palestinian lands and actively polices, polices and represses Palestinian activists. Now, in the meantime, the ongoing mass jailing of Palestinian activists by Israel continues unabated. Hey, this is Nick from You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. Our last um story for this section of the labor news and i'll have a couple of other news stories and an announcement uh, after the interview with Nick uh, refers to Australia that um while the ongoing discriminatory policies and structures that affect Australia's Indigenous people and uh, refugees uh, attempting to reach Australia racism is also entrenched in major institutions like the Australian Football League. Now some uh, people here in Victoria would uh, be aware of this ongoing story and it's the story of the treatment that AFL player Heritier Lumumba endured in his decade as a professional footballer. Now this story has uh, shown a spotlight on how power powerful organisation can entrench and protect racist behaviours and attitudes. In this developing story, calls are growing for a thorough review of the AFL and the sacking of powerful individuals within it. And if people um, are not aware of this story, we'll put uh there's going to be links to all these stories on our website um, from tomorrow night but also on this particular story you can go to sbs um on demand uh look back or whatever it's called and actually look at the documentary that was uh on uh, the story of haritier uh, lumumba um and he tells his, his story and um it's uh, well well worth watching so um We'll go to... uh, You've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents here on 3CR Radio, your favourite community radio station. It's just on ten past nine o'clock. We'll go to a couple of community announcements and then we'll be back with uh, Nick McClendon talking about uh, the issues facing um, workers in the Pacific region and other major themes. Australia is a crime scene. It's unfinished business is crime.
1: People don't understand that it
0: was a military exercise. It was military in the first fleet. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally. It's still the case in this country today. This is 3CR. The um, Pacific uh, region is uh, one area that's often not very well covered by mainstream media and especially in relation to labour issues. And um, But we're very um, happy to have uh, Nick McLaren back online again to be able to uh, enlighten us on some of this issue. Nick, welcome back to the show and it's been a while since we last had you.
1: Good morning, Pierre. Well, yes, I've been on the road. I've just come back from the... Pacific Islands Forum meeting, which was held in Apia, Samoa, last week. Um, and, uh, as you say, labour mobility and the, the issue of uh, Pacific workers in Australia and New Zealand was uh, high on the agenda.
0: All right. Well, let's let's uh, take it um, from there because uh, the whole issue of seasonal uh, workers has um, really been at the forefront of the last couple of years. It's it's an expanding area, but this and we were told that uh, there's going to be all these safeguards. It's all above board, and it's going to be a win-win situation for everyone. But there seems to be some teething problem, to uh, say the least.
1: Well what we've seen not just in the seasonal worker program but right across the board is the exploitation of workers in australia who are temporary labor migrants um people come through a variety of visa categories as uh, backpackers or working holiday makers um as students who can work a certain amount of time during the week or during the holidays uh, obviously four five seven workers and so on and um When there are cases of exploitation, uh, media commentary, uh, uh, industry spokespeople and so on, say, oh, it's just a case of a a few bad apples. But what we've seen is a a series of cases um, of exploitation of people working in low-skilled, often precarious employment um, when they are temporary migrants, uh, labour migrants, uh, backpackers in the horticulture sector, exploitation of students in the 7-Eleven network and Domino's Pizza, um, franchisees with United Petroleum, the list goes on and on. And one of the reasons for that is that there's a structural imbalance um, between employer and the, the temporary labour migrant. Um, you know, one of the things that, that's uh, clear is that overseas workers same this, face the same challenges in the workplace as Australian workers about pay and conditions, about health and safety in the workplace, um, about sexual harassment against women, often, uh, and young people. Um, But temporary migrant workers don't have the same protections as Australian workers. They often have less understanding of the labour law, uh, taxation, their rights for superannuation, for penalty rates, um, and all these areas are under assault, as we know. But for overseas workers, it's even more difficult to protect their rights and that structural imbalance is at the heart of exploitation.
0: Uh, I think you've uh, really covered uh, the issues really, really well, um, Nick. So, um, and and as you said, it really covers a a huge area of uh, temporary migrant workers and there are so many visas subclasses now in Australia and we've covered a lot of these issues before. Now, the seasonal, Pacific seasonal um, uh, contracts or the whole structure of that program is supposed to be for these workers to actually Come regularly um, as seasonal workers uh, here in in australia and um, and you would expect that if the, the the program is is not structured well and people are not getting paid or getting really bad conditions, the system would would break down, or is there a big supply of workers
1: look there's a very large supply of workers there's a a lot of people living in the pacific who are eager to get opportunities uh, overseas where wages and conditions, career opportunities, are better than in their home country. And so you've seen from some countries like Tonga, Samoa and others, there's been a long tradition of labour migration. That's now growing in the larger Melanesian countries, countries like Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, even Papua New Guinea, which have much larger populations. And so we're seeing a big shift in the Pacific where these bigger, more populous countries and often poorer countries, are looking for opportunities for work overseas. That's both within the region, but obviously within the labour markets in Australia and New Zealand. So you can earn more working in the horticulture, picking fruit, uh, working in an orchard or a packing shed, than you can at home. Uh, there are social costs, obviously, with separation from family and so on, but there's a real attraction, so there's a lot of people interested in it. But at the same time, Pacific workers are not dumb, and they realise that they're being ripped off, um, often not directly, but it may be through things like extra charges being placed for renting accommodation, uh, for transport from their accommodation to the, to the fields or farm, um, for uh, visa charges, all sorts of other things. And so there's a, a, a lot of call for the licensing of labour hire firms that are essentially the brokers involved in recruiting overseas and um, um, working with the, uh, the farmers, the employers in Australia.
0: And and that's another very good point that you've touched on, because the whole system, as far as I know, is, is privatised.
1: Yeah, well, Australia works different to New Zealand. Uh, in New Zealand, the employer, the farmer, uh, say in a horticulture, or vineyard, whatever, is the is, uh, is direct employer of the overseas workers. In Australia, the model, they have what they call approved employers, and these are often labour hire companies that are involved in organising the recruitment, the travel, the visas, and so on. And then the, the actual farmer, the employer, will recruit from the approved employer. Um, and that creates a, a body of people who, you know, are, are working on tight margins. And often uh, uh, there's Im- indications that they will need to cut corners. And see, Pacific trade unions have been arguing from day one that they should be better involved in the program um, at all sorts of levels. One example is in terms of pre-departure briefings before workers get, overse- get sent overseas They have an opportunity to learn a bit about where they're going, what's involved. Pacific unions have long been saying that they should be involved in those pre-departure briefings to talk to people about uh, their rights in the workplace, their right to join a union, their right to uh, withdraw labour and so on. And uh, that hasn't happened by and large. In most cases, sending and receiving countries are hostile to the involvement of unions in uh, the seasonal worker program.
0: Well, I'm not surprised that certainly the employers and the government here in Australia would be hostile to Pacific unions. But what do you know of the collaboration between Australian unions and Pacific country unions?
1: There hasn't been enough of that, um, as you'll know. Horticulture is one area of the economy that's really uh, it's pretty poorly organised um, because of the casual nature of the work. You know, people coming and working at harvest time, then moving on. Um, There's a lot of backpackers, grey nomads and people who haven't joined a union. Um, But we've seen really positive signs where some unions have been getting to work with their counterparts in the region. So in 2015, the National Union of Workers in Australia signed an agreement with the Vanuatu National Workers Union. Um, And the NWU in uh, Vanuatu uh, has been trying to organise the many thousands of ni Vanuatu workers who are going to Australia and New Zealand through the official seasonal worker program. They've had some success in getting people to join the union and working in collaboration with the NUW. Now it's a hard sort of work because of the turnover of workers and uh, um, because there's not a tradition of unionization amongst many of the villagers who who are signing up to come on these seasonal worker programs. But it's a really good example where unions are collaborating across national boundaries to work together in a common cause. Um, and that has real implications for example if workers go back with health problems um, um, the union can play a role uh, even after the it's not just exploitation when they're in the country but there may be issues around health and safety uh, around injuries and so on uh, that need follow up uh, um, afterwards after the 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 nirvana or the tongan worker returns home so there is a role for unions working across international boundaries and uh pacific unions uh, have had a a structure called SPOCTU, the South Pacific and Oceania Council of Trade Unions. And as the name suggests, it tries to work across the region to bring unions together. They had a meeting last year in February. It's a pretty frail structure because unions are under a lot of pressure, um, not just in Australia but across the region. Um, but it's, it's a sign that there is a, a desire um, amongst active trade union members uh, to try and build links uh, um, not only within the pacific islands but with their counterparts in australia and new zealand
0: i think that's very much the the way to go and uh, you know it's it's while it's great that there are some uh, some work being done in that uh, regard i think uh, much more has to be has to be done and we'll certainly watch this space uh, Closely in the future, but um, you also been you've just come back from the Pacific uh, Forum, as you said in Apia in uh, Samoa. Uh, were there other um, major issues that um, were spoken there that that's affecting uh, um, uh, working class people, were the working communities in um, in the Pacific region?
1: Well, the biggest one that affects all people, but particularly working people, is is the issue of climate change. Mm. Um, one of the biggest uh, uh, challenges is to see uh, climate change not just as an environmental issue, but as a, as a fact that affects people's jobs, affects their development, and so on. Um, I was in Vanuatu a few years ago, for example, after Cyclone Pam, um, which hit the um, uh, the country very hard and destroyed a lot of infrastructure and also destroyed a lot of jobs. Um, the tourism industry, for example, was very badly damaged, uh, with major damage to hotels, Um, A lot of people who worked in, in the hospitality sector lost their jobs for some months. Um, and we saw at that time the Vanuatu National Workers' Union working with government and others to set up a a jobs exchange where people who'd lost their jobs could come and register and get employment, and sometimes that was just involved in helping clean up, um, doing labouring jobs and so on. But unions have played a role in times of natural disasters to help people who've lost employment, lost their livelihoods, indeed lost their house and and the rest. Um, So the issue of climate change is, is... It may seem like a a greening issue, but in fact it's central to working people's lives. And that's been an area where increasingly, not just uh, citizens, but also governments in the Pacific are very critical of Australia. Um, Malcolm Turnbull flew in for just one day for the Forum Leaders' Retreat last week, but um, um, throughout the week there was widespread criticism from governments like uh, Prime Minister Sopoanga of Tuvalu, uh, uh, the President of the Marshall Islands, Hilda Heiney, very critical of Australia's fetish with coal and the Turnbull government's current plans, uh, for example, for a high efficiency, uh, um, uh, low energy, uh, l- low emissions, uh, a coal plant. Uh, the proposal to spend nine hundred million dollars on a rail line from uh, uh, the coast of Queensland to the Galilee Basin. Um, these sort of issues are of great concern to people across the Pacific.
0: And um, and so um, where do these countries go, because um, at the present moment, I wouldn't have thought that the Australian government would be very open to hearing some of their um, complaints or some of their concerns.
1: No, and, and and so Pacific governments are striking out, and community groups are striking out on their own path. I mean, I think sometimes in Australia, our media presents Pacific Islanders as victims in this process, you know, they're going to go glug, glug, glug under the waves, But in fact, uh, throughout the Pacific, there's very strong organisation and activity, um, both at the grassroots level with people preparing for disasters, but also at government level with uh, active policy and active international lobbying. Um, You probably don't know, but for example, this year Fiji has been president of the UN General Assembly. Um, They're just about to finish their term in the next few weeks. Now, Fiji's presidency uh, of the of the General Assembly is unprecedented, um, and um, our Pacific diplomats, UN ambassadors, have been very actively campaigning around not just uh, climate issues, but decolonisation issues, nuclear issues, uh, economic and trade issues. Uh, it's been a central feature of diplomacy where governments have got out to assert what they want. And this year, for the first time again, Fiji is going to take up the presidency of what's called COP23. That's the Conference of the Parties for the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. So these are the global climate talks that are held every year, like Copenhagen and Paris, Cancun, Fiji. Uh, The meeting will be held in Bonn in Germany, but uh, Fiji will be president for the next year. And this gives an enormous opportunity for Fijian, uh, not just Fiji, but all Pacific countries, to advance the sort of agenda they have about uh, um, climate change, about development funding, about bodies like the Green Climate Fund and so on. And to that extent, they stand aside from Australia. Australia is blocking action in the Forum um, because of its policies around coal, because of its uh, policies in support of the mining industry in Australia. Um, but uh, uh, you'll see our uh, Pacific Neighbours striking out on their own, and um, they don't need to wait for Canberra. Uh, they've got an active policy and work with other small island states through an alliance called AOSIS, the Alliance of Small Island States.
0: Well, um, all right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Nick. That's very um, – it's a good uh, note, a good optimistic note to finish off. Um, thanks for bringing up to us up to speed with all the issues and the processes and the, and what's happening with, uh, uh, with workers and other themes in the Pacific Islands. So thank you very much, and uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you again in the future.
1: Thanks very much. Happy to speak to you again.
0: All right, great. Thanks a lot. Cheers. I often feel the only thing standing between us falling off that precipice and actually fighting our way back up the top of the hill is the trade union movement. I really believe that. We have the numbers, we have the commitment, we have the heart, we have the will to really fight. And the only way we're going to win that fight is to grow the union movement. That was Jed Carney, Talking Up Union. Stay tuned to Tracy cr for more union news. 855 on your am dial or 3cr.org.au it's this program knows exactly which side of the fence and the, of the class struggle we, we're we on. And you were just listening to Nick McClellan, who's in, an independent journalist and long-time human rights activist um, around uh, issues in the Pacific region, telling us about the, uh, the, the issues facing um, um, f- um, Pacific workers, especially in the seasonal uh, program here, and also some of the major themes in the Pacific, especially around the the impact of climate change, but also about the positive uh, action and positive uh, movements that are happening in that region. It's uh, it's almost um, twenty eight past nine o'clock here on Three CR Radio. Um, we really got to go. I've had a, I had another couple of news stories, but we won't have time today. We'll bring them to you next week. Just as a very quick announcement for people who are in Melbourne tomorrow, there is a another counter protest against the far right. Here in um, in Melbourne, um, the far right are trying to use law and order as uh, as another way to organise themselves and to sow um, fear and um, and, uh, and panic in in people and organise the basically their their militias or the the street thugs really. So there is a counter protest by uh, organised by Campaign Against Racism and Fascism. It'll start at half past eleven at the State Library, and then we will be marching at half past twelve to. um, parliament house to counter the um, far right who are gathering there so um, i'll see all of you there and um, and we'll make sure that everyone is safe but that's all i've got time for you for this morning Uh, my name is pierre morrow brought you this week's program of asia pacific currents brought to you every week by australia asia Workerlings and i think i forgot to to say that but you can look up AWL on, uh, on, on the internet uh, or on Facebook and you'll be able to see all these stories that we talk about. Uh, we'll be back next week with another round of news from the labour movement in the Asia-Pacific region. But stay tuned to 3CR Radio and um, Palestine Remembered coming up straight after this announcement. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.